great to see you all. Uh, everybody knows that I can't think and talk loud at the same time, so Martin has got to turn this up extremely loud for anyone to hear me. I appreciate your patience. If during this uh, discussion uh, any of you say, hey, Ron, you're not talking loud enough, say, hey, Ron, you're not talking loud enough, and I'll try to do better. Coming to an end of uh, a, an interim period for White Oak, where some, some of our great members, great men, uh, great men of faith, great men of the word, who have helped us out until now, until Sunday, when, when a great man will be preaching to us. Uh, J.C., Brother Joe, uh, Brother Preston, uh, Brother Bobby, uh, I certainly appreciate, and I, I love you for what you do and what you have done for us, and I appreciate it at the bottom of my heart. Unfortunately, you've had to listen to me some, but, uh, and one more time, one last time. We had a lesson last week that was basically reading, reading from the scriptures, and uh, uh, tonight we'll be doing some of that, but in a different format, in a different, uh, different way. I thought, you know, the, the, the Old Testament was written for our learning, to instruct us in the character and the behavior of God and people give us examples of how people reacted with different situations so that we can learn by that. So I thought tonight we would review some of that, some of the things that I consider significant, at least in my life and, and possibly in yours. Uh, of course, any scripture is wonderful within its context, any of it is. Even the stories of, of negative things, we can learn from those. And the very first thing right out of the right out of the shoot is is Genesis one one the creation. Just think, and and you've heard me say this before, and you might you might hear me say it again. That one verse, so short, but says so much. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The significance of that is just just enormous beyond our consideration. The heavens and the earth, we know what the earth is, we live on the earth and we have a lot of technology today to understand the makeup of the earth, etc., and the solar system. The heavens, at the time the, uh, the Bible was written, especially the New Testament, it's my understanding that people considered the heavens as being twofold physically. Number one, the heavens that we can see, the atmosphere of the earth, the solar system, the sun and the moon, and some of the planets that we can see uh, with our own eyes. Uh, so heaven number one was the immediacy of the solar system area. Heaven number two was the extended universe. And I don't know if those folks understood that we have galaxies. I, they're a lot smarter than me. But just the Milky Way galaxy that the solar system occupies is unbelievably large. I mean, large doesn't begin to describe it. The magnificence of the expanse of the Milky Way galaxy. And when you consider the enormity of it compared to the enormity of the millions or billions of other galaxies and all of the planets and the suns and the stars in those other galaxies throughout the universe, it's just, 
is beyond my ability to comprehend. The expanse of all that is just unbelievable. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. For anyone to consider, and, and of course he goes on in the book of Genesis chapter 1 and following uh, how he created all of the elements on the earth and how he formed the earth. And to think that just man and, and this this body that we consume while we're in this physical environment, to think that it created itself is just, it's, it's unbelievable that learned and smart men, brilliant men in their field of science, think that that came into existence by itself. It's unbelievable that people can think that. God created it and all the elements of it. And especially when you think of that universe of mag magnitude, all of it is composed of tiny particles, atoms and smaller. It's, it, it just takes my mind away when I consider the magnificence of what God did. Considering what he did and the magnificence of that, go to a higher level. God, God did that. The magnificence of God is just, again, beyond thought. I, I just can't, I don't have the vocabulary to express how magnificent God is with all of God's attributes. His knowing everything, everything leaves out nothing. All-powerful, all-powerful leaves out nothing that he could, couldn't do. And all-present, omnipresent, he's everywhere. It's, like I say, his level of magnitude is far above the creation that he created. And he created us. And he did, he created the human race because he wanted somebody or some being that made up their mind that they wanted to be with him. The created beings prior to the human race, he created in the heavenly realm, in that spiritual realm. They didn't have a choice. That's where they were created. They didn't have a choice to be there. Most of them wanted to be. Of course, one of them went sour and fell and took a multitude with him. But in order for us to get there, we've got to prove that we want to be with him. And that's why he... People say, why are we here? Why are we here? I think the answer is pretty straightforward. He wanted a race of being that wanted to be with him. And he created us and set us in this magnificent realm of physical being to prove that's what we want to do. That's my conclusion of why we're here anyway. That may seem too simple, and my mind may not be complicated enough to understand any more than that. But that's, that's why I think we're here. And I think that, that's provable by what he tells us. Anyway, the creation, the magnificence of it. But let's look at some of the men that God told us about. And there are many men that he told us about, but I only selected uh, three or four or five here. And we may not be able to get to the ones I selected.
but Abraham. And I won't go through all the story of Abraham. You, you know the story of Abraham. You've read it hundreds of times, and you know what kind of person he was and what he did. He's the father of the, the Jewish race, basically. Well, yeah, basically he is. But let's consider one element of Abraham, only one. Not all those others, but just one. And uh, you know that Abram was his, was his name to begin with. God changed it to Abraham. Uh, Sarai was his wife's name. He changed it to Sarah. But Abram was a man of great wealth. Great wealth. He had a uh, nephew, Lot, who also was of great wealth. In those days, great wealth meant that they had lots of cattle and lots of herds of cattle. And, uh, and as it turned out, uh, as described in Genesis chapter 13, that uh, there was so much cattle between the herds of Abraham or Abram and Lot that there wasn't enough grazing capacity for all those cattle to survive adequately. So, in, in order to maintain uh, uh, all those herds, they had to have men to take care of the cattle. And starting in verse 7 of chapter 13, and there was a strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle, and the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelled then in the land. So there was some contention. Hey, I want my cattle to graze on this ground. No, that's my ground. You can't do that. You can take the other ground. You know, those kind of things. And Abram said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we be brethren. Let's don't fuss about this. Let's work it out. And Abram was the one that presented it to his nephew Lot. Let's work this out so we won't have any strife in the family is not the whole land before thee separate thyself I pray thee from me if thou wilt take the left hand then I will go to the right or if thou depart to the right hand then I will go to the left so Abram as opposed to saying hey I'm the elder here you're my nephew I'm going to take this land and you, you, you get out of my way because this is what I want this is the best land for me and my cattle, and that's what I want. He didn't do that. What would I have done in that situation? What would I have done if I were in that condition with my family and this situation occurred? Would I have the humility and the fairness of mind and the humbleness of heart to say, okay, we've got a problem here. You do what you want to do, and I'll go the other way. Would I have done that? Abram did. I need to learn that lesson. Maybe I have, maybe I haven't. <laughs> but I need to. Anyway, and Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere. So Lot picked the good land. Before, before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, I printed this in really big print. And Richard knows why. 
but you, you can read it from there probably. Uh, Even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zor. Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves the one from the other. So anyway, the lesson learned from Abram in this one situation is to be fair with people. Step back. Things will work out. Joseph. Joseph is one of my favorite characters of the Old Testament. And uh, a lot is said about Joseph in the book of Genesis. Chapters 37 through 50 are dedicated to the life of Joseph and what he did. A very, very intelligent, very capable, uh, very uh, unique individual. And we could go through a lot of examples of Joseph. You know, when his brothers uh, threw him in that pit, you know, we, we don't have recorded what he did or what he said or what he might have done, etc. I couldn't find anywhere in all of those chapters anything negative said about Joseph. Nothing. And all of that wording and all of the things he did, nothing bad is said about Joseph. Now, we know he wasn't a perfect man. No one is. We understand that. But he was a good man. And uh, when the uh, Ishmaelites took him down to Egypt and sold him to Potiphar, uh, Potiphar recognized the value of Joseph. And so did God. Chapter 39, verse 6, And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand. This is Potiphar, who was a great man in the land of Egypt, and wealthy, and he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he knew not aught he had save the bread which he did eat. He turned everything he had over to Joseph. Can you imagine that? Everything he had. And Joseph was a goodly person and well-favored. Joseph was a goodly person and well-favored. You know, there's a, there's a parable about uh, talents in the New Testament. Joseph exercised his talents. When he was in prison when he was before he was in prison and uh, when he got out of prison. But, you know, the, the big thing that uh, we, we know about, one big thing we know about Joseph is his, uh, his ability to overcome temptation. Now, we probably never will be tempted the way Joseph was tempted, and you know that story. Uh, the, the wife of Potiphar uh, uh, favored Joseph. He was only 17 years old when he was sent down there, so he was a young man. But uh, uh, And it came to pass, as she spake to Joseph day by day, that he hearkened not unto her to lie by her or be with her. And it came to pass about this time that Joseph went into the house to do his business, and there was none of the men of the house there within. And she caught him by the garment, saying, Lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. Joseph didn't hesitate to overcome temptation. Was he tempted by that? I think we've got to conclude that he was. I think. At least that was faced to him. And he had an immediate reaction. I'm not doing that. 
what would my reaction be if I'm tempted again, not with that situation, but with uh, something else maybe? Maybe you are so mature and wise in your life that you are tempted by very few things anymore. You might have been tempted by more things when you were younger. Maybe, maybe not. But the issue is Joseph, being a young man, overcame that and didn't succumb to the temptation that he was faced with. And uh, as a result, uh, his life changed dramatically, but then it changed again, as you know, when he got out of prison and, uh, and became basically the lord of the land of Egypt, all of it. We have a, uh, a promise from God. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. There hath no temptation taken you but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able. But will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that you may be able to bear it. That tells us that the providence of God is in play. It's got to be. He's promised. He made a promise to us. God made a promise. Anytime we're tempted, there will always be a way to overcome that temptation. Always. That we can bear it, meaning we can avoid being succumbing to the temptation that we're faced with. Now, we know that God was with Joseph. We understand that. And, uh, but that doesn't mean that God was controlling his thoughts. God doesn't control our thoughts. He knows what they are, but he doesn't control them. He understands them, whether he likes them or not, is another story. But if we're tempted with anything, any type of thing that would be displeasing to God, there's always a way not to engage ourselves in that conduct. There's always a way to avoid it. So, this one situation with Joseph, we can learn from him. He avoided it, and so can we. David, and we all, again, you, you've read uh, the story of David over and over and over. I know you have. And uh, again, we know that uh, there has been no man to live that, uh, that has not committed sin. We understand that. That is, man that uh, is of age that can do such a thing. In 1 Samuel chapter 13, when Samuel was talking to Saul and Saul had committed one of his first big sins, uh, Samuel said to him, But now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart, and the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people, because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. He sought a man after his own heart. This is God. is seeking a human being after his own heart that he will set over his people. And we read in the book of Acts, chapter 13, verse 22, Paul was on his first missionary journey and he came to Antioch of Pisidia and uh, was instructing those people uh, in the way of the new covenant and gave them some history. And just one verse there, and when he had removed him, he raised up, and he's talking about uh, Saul. When he had removed Saul, he raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart. 
which shall fulfill all my will. That's just the kind of man David was. But we know David, even though he was a man after God's own heart, was not a sinless man. He succumbed to temptation. And you know that story. And, uh, I, I, and, and I won't read the whole story to you because you know it. Probably you could quote it. <laughs> probably You've read it many a time. But let me read just one thing and then something else about it. Two things, really. One thing. But the poor man had, and you'll recognize this, but the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb which he had bought and nourished up, and it grew up together with him and with his children. It did eat of his own meat and drank of his own cup and lay in his bosom and was unto him as a daughter. This man had a little lamb that he treated just like one of his children. I know some of you are animal lovers. You know, he didn't say, he didn't berate this man for treating that little lamb the way he treated it. He was basically setting it as an example, which means it was okay. It was a good thing. This man loved that little lamb just like it was one of his children. How many of you have pets that you absolutely love? I know some of you do. I've never understood people who didn't love dogs. <laughs> I love cats even, I, you know, I do. <laughs> Some people don't understand that I can love cats. <laughs> but it's okay to have a little dog or a big dog that you love. It's okay. That's what I get from that. How many times have you heard that from a pulpit? <laughs> but I think it's an example. It's okay. And let me tell you this. You know, uh, you all know us. We we had a little Sheltie that we had for 14 years named Danny. <clears throat> and we had a stray, a little stray Eskimo Spitz, an Eskimo, American Eskimo dog that we took home, cleaned up, and couldn't find its owner, so he became one of us. And, uh, you know, he lived in the house. And you may have heard me say this before. Uh, you know, people have dogs that live in the house, and we did. I have this rule about dogs being in the house with us. And that rule is not only being in the house with us, but being, you know, some dogs sleep in the bed with people. And they really do. And you know what my rule about that is? He can have half the pillow, but not all of it. <laughs> And that was the rule. He took all of it at times. Uh, he, I'd have to uh, remind him of the rule occasionally. Uh, but anyway, it's okay to love animals. I'm convinced of it with this story about David. So anyway, David was a man of God's own heart. And when he was presented this story uh, by Nathan the prophet, and David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord also hath put away thy sin, thou shalt not die. David repented of what he had done. 
He did some awful stuff. Awful stuff. But he repented of that. And this proves that he, he repented of it. Now, he had to face the consequences later. But he, he was still a man after God's own heart, even though he committed that awful sin. And one of the favorite stories I have, we won't get nearly through any of this, but uh, is about Jonathan. Uh, you know that Jonathan was Saul's son. Uh, Jonathan was a great warrior. A great warrior. Uh, of course, Saul was, but David was a mighty warrior, as you know. And uh, the, the story of uh, Jonathan and David is one of absolutely true friendship. Friendship that's, that, and, and you have close friends. And that's a good thing, to have close friends. Uh, and, and you know the story of Jonathan. I, I don't have to read all this to you, but I'll read some of it to you. Uh, it's just uh, true friends, close friends, are a blessing, a great, great blessing. And I know some of you have buddies that, uh, that are this close. First Samuel chapter 18, And it came to pass when he had made an end of speaking unto Saul, uh, the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. That's pretty close. Extremely close. And Saul took him that day and would let him go no more home to his father's house. And this is talking about David. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was upon him and gave it to David and his garments, even to his sword and to his bow and to his girdle. And later on it says, So Jonathan rose from the table in fierce anger when they became very close friends, extremely close friends. But you know, later Saul decided to kill David. He was going to kill him because the people favored David over him. But Jonathan would have nothing to do with that. Uh, in chapter 20, so Jonathan arose from the table in fierce anger when Saul had said, I'm going to kill David. Jonathan arose from the table in fierce anger and did eat no more the second day of the month. For he was grieved for David because his father had done him shame. So Jonathan, and, and you know the story about Jonathan protecting David with the shooting the arrows and said, you know, if it comes close, it goes far away. And David uh, left. And, of course, you know, David had an opportunity to kill Saul in that cave, and he wouldn't do it because he would be annoyed. So David absolutely would not do it. And you know, later on, when uh, the uh, Jonathan and his father Saul were fighting the Philistines, the Philistines killed both of them. They killed Jonathan first, then they killed Saul. And uh, to tell you the kind of man David was, and David lamented with his, this, his lamentation over Saul and over Jonathan, his son. David was sorry for that, that both of them had been killed, even though Saul wanted to kill him. He was still God's anointed, and David had that much character. Saul and Jonathan were lovely and pleasant in their lives, and in their death they were not divided. They were swifter 
than eagles, they were stronger than lions. You daughters of Israel, weep over Saul, who clothed you in scarlet and with other delights, who put on ornaments of gold upon your apparel. How are the mighty fallen in the midst of the battle, O Jonathan? Thou wast slain in thine high places. I am distressed for thee, my brother Jonathan. Very pleasant hast thou been unto me. Thy love to me was wonderful, passing the love of women. David lost a dear, dear friend. So friendship is a good thing. It's not a bad thing. You know, we have cliques that people call cliques. We don't in this congregation. We have people who congregate together. Their friendship is tighter than with other people, and that's okay. Nothing wrong with that. We don't disparage people within this group of friendship, and they don't disparage the others. I haven't seen that, period. And that's a wonderful thing for a group of people. But anyway, having dear, dear friends, you can't have that close a friend with every person in the congregation, and, and I know that. We all love one another, and we all respect one another, but we just can't have that closeness with everybody. It's okay to be close to some. David even remembered when he became king. David said, is, is here... Is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? For Jonathan's sake. Who in Saul's family, Jonathan kin people, can I be kind to now that I am the king? <clears throat> and there was of the house of Saul a servant whose name was Ziba. And when they had called him unto David, the king said unto him, Art thou Ziba? And he said, Thy servant is he. And the king said, Is there not yet any of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God unto him? And Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan hath yet a son which is lame on his feet. Now he was lame because uh, the servant dropped him when they were escaping a battle. Young boy. He dropped him and I don't know what he did to his feet, but he was lame on his feet as a result of that. And the king said unto him, Where is he? And Ziba said unto the king, Behold, he is in the house of Maker, the son of Amiel, in Lodabar. Then king David sent and fetched him out of the house of Maker, the son of Amiel, from Lodabar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was coming to David, he fell on his face and did reverence. And David said, Mephibosheth? And he answered, Behold thy servant. And David said unto him, Fear not, for I will surely show thee kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake, and will restore thee all the land of Saul thy father, and thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. So David took care of that boy for his life. Period. He loved Jonathan that much to take care of his family following him. And I know you do the same for people that are so close to you and family that are close to you. <clears throat> we don't have time to go through seven more pages of this. <laughs> but in the book of Proverbs and the book of Ecclesiastes are two of my very favorite books of the Old Testament. The axioms of life, truths that are general in nature, some, most, some specific in nature. But let me 
Let me read just one to you of all of these. Happy is the man that findeth wisdom and the man that getteth understanding. For the merchandise of it is better than the merchandise of silver and the gain thereof than fine gold. She is more precious than rubies and all the things that canst desire are not to be compared unto her wisdom. What is wisdom? Well, let me read the dictionary version and I think it's pretty accurate. My version has always been the ability to have the knowledge and the character to make the best decision in any situation. You've got to have knowledge and you've got to have experience to make the best decision and that's wise. The right use or exercise of knowledge, the choice of laudable ends and of the best means to accomplish them. This is wisdom in act, effect, or practice. If wisdom is be considered as a faculty of the mind, it is a faculty of discerning or judging what is most just, proper, and useful. And if it is to be considered as an acquirement, it is the knowledge and use of what is best, most just, most proper, most conductive to prosperity or happiness. Wisdom in the first sense, or practical wisdom, is nearly synonymous with discretion. It differs somewhat from prudence in this respect. Prudence is the genus or the character of man. The ability to make the best decision, but you've got to have the knowledge to do that and the experience to do it. You know, children are wise in a lot of ways. We don't give them credit for it. but. Uh, as we mature, we gain knowledge and we gain experience. And when we put that together with the direction of God, we can apply that to an element called wisdom. But there's one other thing that uh, let me read to you because it, uh, it's pretty sobering. Those of you who have maturity and have extreme knowledge and the ability to discern the best action with that knowledge and the situation comes with it a price. For in much wisdom is much grief, and he that increaseth knowledge increaseth sorrow. When you know the truth and you see people out in the world that are dear friends to you, that you know they don't accept the truth. There's a lot of grief and sorrow that goes with it. There's a lot more, but that's the time for the night. Thank you for your attention, and we'll look forward to uh, the Owens on, on Sunday. Sure good to see you. Uh, are, were there any classes that were dismissed? No. Well, it's, uh, it's customary and appropriate at the end of any service of the Lord's Church to offer what we call an invitation. Any that has a situation in their life where they need the prayers of the congregation or a situation that is uh, upsetting to God, that is if there has been activity that God wouldn't be pleased with and people know it, uh, to repent of that and let the congregation know that the repentance has occurred. So that opportunity presents itself now as we stand and sing.